everybody. Thank you again for listening to the Wildlife Command Center podcast. This is Chris Starr, your host. And on this episode, I am running a solo mission, baby. (laughs) I talk about my plans for the 2022 elk hunting expeditions that I'm going to go on in September and possibly otherwise. And a little bit into some exciting plans that I might have for this summer as well. It has to do with planes a little bit. Thanks again for listening. This is going to be a quick one, quick little solo episode for you guys. What is going on, everybody? This is your host, Chris Starr, back again with another Wildlife Command Center podcast. Thank you for listening, subscribing, I really appreciate you guys. If you could leave us an awesome review. I know I ask that all the time, but it truly does help. Five stars, that would be sweet. Going to do a solo episode today. Wanted to chit-chat a little bit about the upcoming hunting seasons. I know it's still January, right? A lot of us are still flying our birds, but a little bit more about the big game side of things because it is application season. It's the second best time of year for big game hunters. So I wanted to chit chat a little bit about what my plans are, the options that I'm considering, where I plan to go elk hunting. So first off, I'm going to be going to Oregon here in about a month for a cow elk depredation tag by, I know I have to say it, (gasps) oh, it's kind of like blasphemy. Oh, I'm going to gun hunt. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm I'm an elk hunter through and through. And I'm going to be honest. I feel like 80 to 85% of who I was last year when I was eating elk all of the time. I talk about it a lot, you know, but it's my favorite meat by far by a huge margin. Now, I haven't tried a lot of the big game meats. Like I, I think I've had moose maybe once, maybe. Haven't had antelope, like haven't had pronghorn. Haven't had sheep. I've had oryx, but that was back when I didn't know how to really cook it. I was very inexperienced. And even now, you know, I'm still learning how to do things, how to prepare properly and, and getting better along those lines. Haven't had a lot of waterfowl either, but I haven't really like, dedicated a full season to hunting them. So maybe that'll come down the line. So for now, going up to Oregon and I'm going to take me a big old rifle and hunt cow elk. I'm getting a uh, getting a guide. It's going to be a quick hunt. You know, they're most likely going to be on private land. We'll kind of figure that out. I'm in contact with him now. I got to get elk meat in my freezer because I have to get back to performing at those 100% levels, 100% of what I know that I could be. And the reason I say that I'm 80 to 85 right now is because elk pushes you past the points of performance that I thought were possible. So let's say I was at what I thought was 100% in maybe 2019 and early 2020, and then I harvested that elk in later 2020. And then from there, it's nature's PEDs, nature's performance enhancing drug. I mean, when you're eating that lean, organic, super nutrient dense protein, it just pushes you past 100% to 115%. And then when that becomes your baseline, 
once you get off of that, oh man, I feel fine. I feel good. I'm okay. But I'm not like amazing. (laughs) I'm not like awesome. I know I can feel that my recovery is not as great as it could be. So got to get back to eating elk meat every day, having elk meat in my freezer. So to do that, the quickest way for an over-the-counter tag like that is Oregon for me out here on the West Coast. So I'm going to go make it happen. And so now, that being said, I'll have some elk meat in the freezer to eat on all spring, summer preparation seasons for the fall elk rut, basically. And that's what's important, getting into that crazy elk shape. Shout out to Dan Staten. Love you, man. Love the podcast. That is the Elk Shape Podcast for those who don't know about him. Another great pod. It's getting back into that elk shape. And when you have great, high-quality protein in the freezer, a stacked freezer full of it, there's nothing like that feeling. Nothing like being able to go into your freezer and just having stacks on stacks of great quality meat. So, that being said, on to the 2022 fall and winter seasons. So last year and early this year, I bought points in my home state of Nevada. You know, I've got plenty of points across the board for multiple animals. The bull elk in Nevada that I took in 2021, it takes you off of the list for seven years. I can't build points for seven years. It's brutal. And I'm just out of that drawing for like run-of-the-mill you know, normal bull elk, archery, rifle, any of that. Now, there are still depredation hunts that I can apply for and that I'm going to, as well as cow hunts and a spike rifle hunt in October in some areas. So there is still a chance that I could draw a Nevada tag and I would like to hunt my favorite range, the Jarbage range. It's by no means a trophy, quote-unquote, unit. There are trophy bulls there. It's Nevada. There's trophy bulls in every unit straight up. There's monsters. I saw one. I saw probably a 350 7.7 7 by 7 bull my uh, second to last day of my season in a little bit of a red fest. It was pretty awesome. He was screaming his head off. He was chasing cows around. He was chasing off the satellite five points, which were <laughs> still huge, still 300 class bulls, five points. It's bonkers. Nevada's awesome. I love my state. So it's possible that I could draw there. Got a bunch of points there in multiple animals. I've got a point in Montana. I have a point in... What is that other state? Oh, Colorado. I have a point in Colorado, which also has over-the-counter tags. But in all honesty, I'm probably not going to hunt Colorado for a couple of years until I have like, you know, a solid three. With three points, you can hunt some pretty decent units, you know. It's not going to be overcrowded, not non over the counter, it's still a limited entry unit technically. But with 3 points you can still go have a really really good hunt. <laughs> I heard Colorado even being called North Texas now because it's basically uh you know, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of over the counter units. Colorado still technically has the most elk of any state in the lower 48. So the opportunity is still greater for most people. But man, it's the easternmost state that has elk in any good numbers. You know, North Dakota, South Dakota, 
Oklahoma, and crazily enough, West Texas, they all have elk in them. But for true numbers, still Colorado is the easternmost state. And so that being said, all of the hunters in East North America and Central who want to go and hunt elk, they mostly go to Colorado. And on my original solo episode a couple months back, when I recap my elk hunt in Colorado, I talk about how many people I ran into you know, for many, many days, for almost a week, I saw more people than elk. It was bananas. So all that being said, I'm going to hold off on hunting Colorado until I've got three or four points and I can go draw a decent unit. You know, there's like those three to five point draw units. And then like from there, it's like 15 point units for like truly trophy class, like Southern and Southwestern Colorado near the... New Mexico border, that's when you get into like just absolute monsters. What else? So I also put in for Arizona, what? The late archery season tag. Probably not my smartest idea. I have heard it is a hard hunt. It's in November. The rut is very much over and it's archery, which means it's hard when they're not running. You can't rutting. You can't call them in, but it's still Arizona. What that means is there are still big old bulls there. There's no over-the-counter Arizona tags. Like you can't just show up and buy a tag for any Arizona units for elk. They're all limited entry. They're all draw. So what that means is in almost every single unit, if not all, I'm not super experienced on Arizona, there are big bulls in there. So... That's exciting. So like there is opportunity. You know, a lot of dang good elk hunters go there and kill big bulls every year, even in that late archery season. It's a lot of sitting water, which I hate. There's nothing worse than uh, sitting for me. I am terrible at sitting still. Oh gosh, it's the worst. But, you know, maybe after a few days of running myself ragged, looking for bulls, chasing bulls, maybe getting on a few opportunities. Perhaps I'll be happy to uh, set up a ground blind and sit on a water tank. Oh, gosh. Even just that coming out of my mouth makes me cringe. Oh, boy. Anyway, so... (laughs) But that is in November. And so I'm probably going to try to... like. So let's say I don't draw Nevada. I'm just going to buy another point in Colorado. I don't think I'm applying to any other places. Um, Wyoming, I'm going to buy a point in just because there are good units that you can draw just like Colorado with a couple of points and have a really quality hunt and I have opportunities at quality bulls, but you got to build some points up. So I'm going to wait on that and just buy a few points for a few years, focus on Nevada. And then most likely, just like I mentioned for my cow elk hunt, I'm going to try Oregon. Because I'm so far west out here, they have really good opportunities. Well, I you know, I can't say that. I'm so inexperienced. But they have over-the-counter units. And I'm, I would consider myself more of a meat hunter than a trophy hunter. Obviously, I'm so new to this. I would just rather have a lot of meat in my freezer. And so to accomplish that, maybe hunt Roosevelt elk. 
So Roosevelt elk are a subspecies that live strictly on the western seaboard, basically. The westernmost mountain ranges right on the coast all the way up North America. All the way down to uh, Northern California and then all the way up into Alaska, which is pretty crazy. Up there, they're humongous. The biggest bull, the biggest elk in the world are up there in Alaska in uh, far northern Canada. But even down here in Oregon, they're bigger bodied than Rocky Mountain elk. That's the subspecies that most people are hunting, you know, when they hunt elk. And my knowledge is correct then Roosevelt elk are about a sixth to an eighth larger in body. And so like a big old Roosevelt bull could be like an eight to 900 pound bull versus like 700 pounds on a mature Rocky Mountain elk, a Rocky Mountain bull. So, you know, even if it's a, uh, you know, a couple year old bull branch antler or what we call a raghorn, which is a uh, three year old bull or a five point, which is usually a four year old bull. And then, you know, the five to six year old bulls are those what we call mature bulls. They get five like big five to small six. And then like a good six is like a six-year-old bull, let's say. So all of that to basically say, I'm excited. I'm probably going to be hunting the Oregon Western Coast for the rut, for the September elk hunt. I think we shall see. I would love to. It's way different than what I am used to elk hunting. And there's not a ton of glassing. It's a lot of run and gun. So the Oregon logging industry out there actually makes for great elk habitat. What a lot of people don't understand because they don't know how logging works is old growth forest, huge tracts of unbroken old growth forest that isn't logged consistently. It leaves no sun hitting the forest floor. So there's no feed for any large game animals down there. So when they log it correctly, which is, you know, all proper methods of logging nowadays, they do it so that they can have long-term results. You know, they're not trying to, they don't go in and clear off 100,000 acres of woods. You know, what they do is they log out parcels. Basically, they'll take down maybe like, let's say 10 acres, right? So like if you use Google Maps and you look from the top at these areas, you'll see basically squares. It'll be like grids checkerboards of areas that are logged and being grown back up. And so in those logged areas for the first couple of years, all of that sunlight comes down and hits the forest floor and it creates great lush feeding conditions for big game animals and you know, like elk and everything smaller than that deer and whatnot. The light hits that and it makes for great growth all of the grasses and shrubs that these animals eat. They're actually grown down there. And so it allows for these elk herds to thrive, to be honest. And so these elk have been able to thrive in these logging areas. And so with this type of hunting along that Western coast where it's just thick, 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 a lot of it is running those logging roads. So not getting up on a humongous mountain and glassing huge mountainsides for miles and miles and looking for bulls, you know, two miles away. It's run and gun, you know, running driving, hiking, bugling off into canyons and seeing if they answer. It's a lot of that. Checking open logged hillsides, don't see anything, moving on. And so there's going to be a lot of preparation that goes into this for myself. Should be interesting. 
that's one of my options, you know, and, and I'll probably take that if I don't land any other types of red hunts this year. You know, say I, I draw my Arizona tag, that's still in November, you know what I mean? And I still want to go and try my luck because if I'm not successful there, that's November and September will have already gone. I can't let September get away from me without getting an elk on the ground. There's, there's no better time to hunt than in the rut when they're screaming, they're fighting, breeding. It's, it's the best type of fiasco that there is. So that is most likely my plan, ladies and gentlemen. Another thing I'm also planning to do, totally off topic, is most likely work on getting my pilot's license here this year. You know, I've been, I've wanted to do that literally my entire life. Like what have I loved and, and loved and wanted to do my whole life? Fly birds and fly planes. Literally those two things from being a little tiny baby, knee high to a grasshopper. I've wanted to do that my entire life. So I think that my GI bill will help pay for that. I would love to do that. I just thought about this today, chatted with a few of my buddies who are pilots, got their advice, and apparently that GI bill will help pay for that, if not pay for a portion of that. You know, that stuff is expensive. Airplane, <laughs> airplane fuel is not cheap, as well as paying for, excuse me, the pilots, you know, the instructors to teach you how to do it. And it is like a college course. I will have to send my butt off. So a lot of that will be happening. It's just an idea that, you know, we kind of chatted about myself and a few people chatted about today. And I would love to make it happen. And so I think it's been on my list of something that I've wanted forever. It's on my list of things that I tell myself every morning. You know, I want my own personal plane. And so for that, I need, if I'm going to fly it, I need to get my pilot's license. And it's a great way to travel. And you know, I love traveling. It's one of my favorite things to do. Oh, another one of my favorite things to do is watch the UFC and it is back. Oh my goodness. I can't tell you how much I missed that. First event of the new year of 2022 was this weekend, this past weekend. And this coming weekend, we have a humongous card with the heavyweight title and the flyweight title on the line. And I am stoked to watch it. Can't believe my pastor is a huge UFC fan. How crazy is that? We're so few and far between. So it's awesome that my head pastor of my church is a fan. It's, it's so cool because first off, he's an awesome dude. And second, we like click even more now. <laughs> so it's pretty awesome. Anyway, if any of you guys have suggestions for, like if you guys know any pilots or, you know, just anybody in that field, you know, feel free to reach out and say, hey, you know, I know this guy, he could give you some advice or, you know, some tips. That would be sweet. Hit me up on Instagram at Lone Star Trapper, star with two R's. That would be awesome. You know, all help is greatly appreciated as I'm trying to figure out this next stage. That would be sweet. I would probably be starting after I finish flying my bird for the year. We stop in about April, somewhere along those lines, as well as that is when kind of the Wildlife Command Center as business really takes off all of the animals. They've already bred and they have their offspring on the ground and the bats are back. They are back from Mexico. They had their fiesta and it's time to start making babies again. So that will be the time, you know, oof, I will uh, 
have to figure out how to slip in some flight training. Oh man, am I excited for that. How exciting is that? Oh, sheesh. Alrighty, guys. Hey, I appreciate you listening. Thank you once again. I really love doing this, and so I'm going to keep doing it. Go grab some Wildlife Command Center coffee. It's the best coffee. I just made my cold brew for tomorrow morning. You could make some too. I'm a big breakfast blend guy, but I'm out right now, so I'm running the dark roast. (laughs) But it's got that awesome roasty flavor. Mmm, it's my fave. All right, y'all. Thank you again for listening to me, Chris Starr, on the Wildlife Command Center podcast. Have a great one. God bless. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. This is Michael Baran, a.k.a. Bare Hands Baran. Make sure you go now to Discovery Plus. Download our reality TV show, Bare Hands Rescue, where we are out there every day rescuing people from wild animals. It is entertaining, it is engaging, and it is informative. Download it today and listen for our next podcast.